0: Hello there, welcome to another episode of the Break It Down for Brackens podcast. Today we get to hear from John Sheehan. John has been a member of Bros & Bras for about two years and he's gonna tell us some stories from his past and what he likes to do for fitness and which Bros & Bras outings he likes to go to. Uh, this podcast is sponsored by Brackens Painting. Brackens Painting is a commercial and residential painting company that i started about nine years ago. We specialize in meeting people's expectations and their schedule needs. We try to help get projects done as efficiently as possible. This podcast is also brought to you by City National Bank, which you'll hear the City National Bank commercial, which is recorded by Melissa Knott, my banker, at the end of the podcast. So I hope you enjoy. Let's listen to what John has to say. Hello, John. Thanks for being on the Break It Down for Brackens podcast. Hey, great to be here. Awesome. Um, So, John has been a member of Bros & Bras for how long? I think a little over two years. Okay. How did you first hear about us?
1: Well, to be honest with you, uh, my wife is uh, deaf, to be honest with you, and she has a cochlear implant, and that's the only way she can hear. And she was, at the gro- she was at the grocery store and Food Lion, and she ran into Angie, who also wears a cochlear implant and is uh, hearing impaired. So she told Bonnie about it, and it became fence on Facebook. And she said, why don't you all come out? Because we're avid walkers. And so we went up to uh, the Black Dog Walk was our first walk. And naturally, as soon as we crossed the road there to walk, uh angie takes off running so uh jack jack uh stayed with us and walked the whole walk with us so we did about two or three miles i think and came back
0: okay cool so have you lived in jefferson county for a long time tell me a little bit about you and bonnie's background
1: well uh we got married pretty young she was 21 i was 24 and uh we've been together a long time and we She grew up in Beltsville, Maryland, and I did too, and we uh, eventually got married, and I had a small house in Beltsville, and we started having children, and we decided to move out to the country, Carroll County, Maryland.
0: How many many kids do you have?
1: I have two. My daughter was the oldest, and my uh, son is the youngest, but... It was kind of a traumatic year in that we had the house for sale and that Bonnie uh, had uh, severe problems having the baby. And so our little daughter was two pounds, one ounce at birth. And wow. she went through a lot of. And so the first night I left the hospital, they told me my daughter probably wouldn't make it through to the morning and that my wife might pass also. but. In the end everything uh turned out all right and uh I'm thankful for that and it makes me appreciate children and special needs children a lot and my daughter has no problems and doing great so I'm very thankful
0: was that at the same time you moved to Carroll County
1: Yes <laughs> we when my wife was in the- when my wife and daughter in the hospital, we got a contract on the house in Beltsville to move to, so we can move to Carroll County. So, a lot happened that year. It was 1983, and that was a traumatic year for me. And that my father had cancer and passed away that year. And we moved that year. The stuff with my daughter. So it it was uh, it was it was quite traumatic. But we we made it through so i'm very thankful
0: so you you live in carroll county now
1: uh i we moved after our kids finished and my daughter was finished with college and my son was in college we decided to move to north carolina and um we lived there for seven years we never really liked it that much and decided to come back to the area so
0: what part of north carolina
1: uh near hickory north carolina place called granite falls it's right in the foothills in North Carolina but
0: it's a nice it's, it's place. Pretty, it's,
1: it's pretty for sure
0: yeah yeah I, I've been down there a few times the uh, so I had no idea that Bonnie was hearing impaired I, I didn't know that at all
1: a lot of people don't
0: know that but you know see
1: uh, basically when you have a cochlear implant you're completely deaf in that ear if you take that off she can't hear anything out of that ear she started having problems when she was about 20 or 21 years old okay. and it just uh over time it digressed and she had a operation which is about 24 25 and they replaced Stacey's in her ear, and that worked good for about a year and then it just started going downhill and from then on it was hearing aids after hearing aid after hearing aid and it got to the point when we moved to north carolina that she couldn't talk to our children on the phone or anything it just really had gone down that bad so uh
0: so she was connected um through Angie she knew her from
1: she just ran into her from the store and I think when people wear cochlear implants and you see another person with a cochlear implant it's it's automatic uh they're in the club they're, they're going to yeah they're in the club and they're going to talk to each other and Angie's, right. Angie's such a
0: great person. She really is. What, um? do you remember what Angie said when uh, she first encouraged you guys to come out?
1: Uh, I think she, um, uh, when she was at the store, she got money's information so they'd become friends on Facebook and she told them about bros and bras. And not right away, but shortly afterwards, we came out there on a Saturday through Angie's encouragement to come out there and walk, now, uh, you know, so that's how we initially got involved in Frozen uh, and Bras, and I love Frozen Bras, it does so many good things, and one thing I like about Frozen Bras is it's not, I guess I'm part of the older generation per se, but there's young people, people middle-aged, and people that are older, there's people that run, that walk, that, you know, do all these things, and we support, and I'm glad we support the local businesses like Black Dog and uh, 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 the pizza place, the Appalachians AL, and other
0: small businesses. The uh, yeah, and,
1: yeah.
0: You I know, uh, back in the beginning, John, the um, I, like if you've been involved for two years, I've been out of it as the leader for two and a half, almost three years now. I think it. Right, maybe maybe two years, but back when I had tons of free time and the businesses that I was running were pretty much on autopilot, the um, I had this really neat vision for Bros and Bras to help cr- to make it a economic driver in the community. So yep. there weren't a ton of businesses that were really thriving over the top downtown. There's a couple of restaurants, you know, this and that. They just weren't. There were some retail spaces, but nothing was really awesome. And I thought one of the best things that would encourage a smart business owner to come downtown would be foot traffic. There just wasn't a ton of foot traffic. So we started to have events that started in the downtown Charlestown area. And all of a sudden, anybody who might be cruising by, you saw five to 10 to 20 people kind of jogging or walking around. And it created the illusion of foot traffic It created and it actually became consumers on main street when they may not choose that as a, lo, a venue to run or walk. And then I don't think you were around when we had the actual headquarters downtown, right?
1: Uh, I think it was coming close to being an end down there that,
0: yeah. Uh, that, so, that. I mean, that was literally a Bros and Bros clubhouse that we would stage numerous events out of there and like, you know, we wanted to, the Black Dog event on a Saturday morning was our flagship. That was our big one. And then that, that folded over into the farmer's market. And then when Ann created a second run, that was also Black Dog. But we started to have events that started at Grandma's Diner. With right. the intention that people would go into Grandma's afterwards for the same model we had set at um, Black Dog and and in the abolitionist one and then there was at one point there was a skipper's run where you get ice cream afterwards that was short-lived just due to we were over we were overdoing the calendar at at our peak we had 55 events in one month in june wow yeah and that lasted all summer long in the high 40s that many events per per month was it was incredible Uh, we also had the economic driver of supporting businesses. We had um, scavenger hunts where all of the um, businesses knew we were coming, and you had to hit like all these checkpoints, and the checkpoints were inside of a retail store that you may not have gone into, an okay. each store or be vintage or dish when it was still open, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, and that drew a ton of awareness from our population into what businesses were actually downtown and that you could go to. Right. We even had something called a poker run, which we called it the broker run, naturally. Right. (laughs) And and you travel around collecting cards. And then we went into Dish before it became Sumitra. And we, um, whoever had the best hand won whatever raffle prize was donated to the event. That was cool. Yeah, that was a ton of fun. So, like, that was back in the heyday when I had a ton of free time. And then. The painting company hadn't expanded the way it had, and the plowing company hadn't been up and running yet. But that was glad. I'm glad you appreciate that because it is important for us to be in, be in these businesses. And you know, right. um, somebody mentioned to me one time, Bros and Bras were all at a Ragnar or something. We were all out of town on a day that we were supposed to be at the farmer's market. Uh, People pulled me aside and they said, "It's obvious when Bros and Bras aren't here. Like there's." Right it misses a certain amount of volume. So it's nice to know that we can move the needle. And I really like that about the group. And I love uh, the farmer's market when we do
1: that for the summer months. And also too, the walks that some of the people uh, uh, do during the week, as far as the Charlestown uh, kitchen grandma's Grandma's walk and then the walk in the Harpers Ferry That you know, John.
0: I've lost track of really what's active on the calendar, especially from the from the Jefferson Activities Group, which would be the Jag, and you being primarily a walker. Tell me about what events. So, like the grandmas, if I remember correctly, the grandmas started off as like a stroller walk, where moms bring their kids, and then grandmas would push the strollers or whatever to the park. (laughs) And that, and that fizzled, but, so that, that is a Tuesday mid-morning, right? Uh, right.
1: I, I, can't, I always can't remember if it's Tuesday or Wednesday, but it's one of those
0: two days. And the Harper's was, Ferry Walk is the other day, so. I yeah, think I, think, if, I think Wednesday might be the Harper's Ferry, which I've never yeah. been to that one. Yeah, um, but tell me nice. about Tuesday, because I know somebody in the group has taken the lead on where you guys go, correct? Correct. I think Sandy normally
1: uh, determines where we're going to walk that day. And I love Sandy and Mike. She's such an inspiration the way she runs and everything. It's just incredible. I know she's had a little bit of health issues here recently, but uh, she's great to be around. And Dolores normally does the Harper's Berry Walk. And we always mix it up where we walk. So it's, it's nice
0: so on for the grandma's walk just for context how far do you guys usually walk and where do you usually go uh we go all over charlestown really sometimes we walk
1: down to the park sometimes we walk up toward the civic center and the gardens and all that stuff up there and just kind of walk around town it just depends on the day where we go
0: is it a fitness walk or a casual walk
1: uh that one is more it's more casual but a little bit toward the fitness side and I would say the Harpers Ferry walk is more casual type of walk and so there never been of the Harpers
0: Ferry one is that the one that meets at Country Cafe
1: yeah we meet at Country Cafe and we just take different routes all the time when we do it I can primarily just do these things in the summertime because I do work from September to June so but Bonnie when she's not babysitting my grandson, she participates in those walks,
0: so. That's great. Um, who are some other characters that you see at these walks? Call out some of the people you see there on a regular or even randomly. Well,
1: you know, of course, on the Thursday night abolition of sale, we see Bacon and Jack, and uh, we see uh, a lot of other people uh, amber and scooter and jen you know people don't always go there every week per se but they show up continually. joe runner uh he's
0: there tom well, so, it's so a lot to some of extent to some extent you um you go with three days a week or mm-hmm. right, it's 40 i see you on saturday sometimes also
1: uh we definitely do two and during the summer i try to do three but then bonnie and i probably walk on our own another day or two a week so we try to get our goal was to try to get 9 to 15 miles a week walking and that's, that's really good and when we walk we're not the casual lot of dog walkers we we walk to get exercise so fitness mm-hmm. yep absolutely sure. and Bonnie and I throughout the years so and when you have kids it's hard to exercise sometimes but we always like to go on walks and when we moved down to north carolina uh for those seven years we did five miles every single day and Uh we had and we could just walk within the neighborhood there and we had this dog with us and we had to go up this big steep hill this dog was on a leash but he would get to a certain part on that hill he comes to a dead end stop. He's not going any further. I have to carry him <laughs> up the hill every day, but uh it was worth it. <laughs> that's that's fine. So when we move back here, we're still walking, but it's really nice to be part of a group and not only the exercise, but the afterwards having um uh, you know coffee with someone afterwards or uh getting coffee at the um, at the market in the summertime. So uh, we definitely enjoy talking to other people. And
0: what, um, what was your expectation of the group before you showed up? I mean, it's it's gotta be kind of nerve wracking. And I don't remember when your first day was, but when you're showing up to a kind of a group, running group or whatever, you gotta wonder what are they gonna be like? What, what did you think it was gonna be like? And then how did it turn out?
1: Uh, I I was just hoping we'd get some exercise I was just kind of checking it out the first time to see what was going on and the one thing you know of course it's a slogan of the group but it really meant a lot to me you know no judgment no expectations because the majority of the people are runners but I've never had anyone go well gee just walk or whatever and sometimes uh, sometimes people say hey can we walk with you today and you know it's all good Uh, I really enjoy it and then no matter whether you're running or walking you end up back somewhere and you can have coffee or tea or whatever you'd like to drink so it's good comradeship I love it yeah
0: it's a very good way of putting it comradeship so did you have any aspirations for fitness did you have any goals that you were working towards
1: um just to stay fit and active and i've been athletic all my life Uh, i i uh, unfortunately when i finished ninth grade i was five foot four and weighed about uh 96 pounds and by christmas at 10th grade i was six feet tall and i was so uncoordinated it was like i didn't know what to do with wow. my body because i'd always been active in baseball and everything and in basketball but i was so uncoordinated that it really took me about two years to get it back i would say to like uh, close to 11th grade and i had a friend in high school and he was really into basketball and we played all the time and i could have probably Um, been on the high school team if I chose to my senior year but I figured for one year they're not gonna want me but at that time I was playing against the best people in PG County and Washington DC I was playing the all met people and uh, you know so we were pretty darn good uh, playing basketball and so that's and then later on in life I always played I played competitive basketball us about 35. I played football uh to us about 35 and that was uh touch and flag and actually it was one of two white guys on the team uh and we also did something in, and that team played mostly in DC and it was from people that went to Anacostia, DC, tough part of town and uh we went to the Turkey Bowl and there was, we were the only two white people out of about 10,000 people. And uh, it, it was pretty
0: cool. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. You were hanging in right. with those uh, athletes. Yep. So, um, have you done any races since you joined Bros & Bros, Any local like uh, Harper's Ferry or 5Ks?
1: Well, I've done a few 5Ks and I would, like walk most of them, and maybe like run the last half mile, or do something like that. And then I, uh, I, we did several five Ks. Also, too, volunteered through Bros and Bras to help out at some of these races and stuff like that. So I, we definitely like doing that for sure.
0: So John, how old uh, are
1: you? I am sixty-eight. I'll be sixty-nine this year. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, well the last race that I remember doing with you being there in, right. and correct me if I'm wrong was was that the Ransom Mile? Correct. Yep. That was a doozy. First of yep. all, that run is like a fist fight. If you're if you're racing, it is it's a real it's real aggressive, very fast, only one mile. Um, but you had some challenges there. Tell us about how that went down. What did it, what did it what would it become? Well, I would
1: say like the first couple months before that race, I was, I mean, I've run a mile before. Actually, I ran a mile uh, the year before, but this time I was trying to do a better time. So Bonnie and I have been doing the black dog walk and we'd run a third, walk a third, run a third. And so we did that several times before that race. So I did about a third of the way through the race and I'm feeling really good. And then all of a sudden, man, something went really wrong with me and I wasn't sure what it was. And I sat down on the curb for a while and thought, man, what the heck's happening to me? And then probably I walked about another third. Then I, uh, threw up and then I basically almost passed out before the finish line where you saw me. And, Dr. what was really like, uh, it, I just felt so weak. I couldn't really, do anything, so I, like I was Like blood sugar, worried. maybe, or uh, no, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't my blood sugar, but I just felt really dizzy, and I, I think I was losing it mentally a little bit, as far as just kind of out of it. I was really out of it. So
0: was it a heat exhaustion kind of thing? It was a little hot that day. Uh,
1: well, they Took me to the hospital. Dr. Mark took a look at me, and he's a great, great man. And he didn't. Ha- I had to end up uh, spending the night in the hospital. And Dr. Uh, Dr. Mark, who didn't have to, checked on me about three or four times while I was there. But uh, basically, my heart was just uh, pounding so fast. They had to find a way to slow it down. They finally gave some me some medicine about eleven o'clock at night, and finally calm my heart down, but I wasn't really sure, but they changed my medicine about a month before. And I was thinking a diabetes medicine and I was thinking, maybe that was it. And I wasn't really sure, but all that summer, I felt bad all summer. I could barely walk. And, uh, we went on vacation, North Carolina, and I had to walk like a, not even a half a mile, I could just barely, barely do it. And so when I got back, the doctor said, hey, uh, we're gonna take you off that medicine, and put you back on old medicine. So that made me feel a little better initially. And like I worked for the school system. So about the last week in August, I went back to school. First week, the kids come back from school on that Friday, my legs are twice the size of what they, normally work and i going like uh, so the doctor thought it might be um, medicine related but you know i kept feeling bad and so about a month later in october uh i had severe pain in my stomach and then i ended up going to the emergency room there in ranson and um they discovered that i had uh i had uh prostate cancer and i had a kidney stone so the kidney stone is really what drove me to the hospital also mm-hmm. blessing really and the prostate cancer at the end of the day that's what was making my legs swell up severely so i basically couldn't walk from june to uh till the end of January of uh this year or so uh and, and you know i'm just thankful that
0: uh i'm doing well so well I'll can i never... ask you questions about the cancer yep cuz i don't i don't really know anything about prostate cancer and is it is it treatable is it chemo i mean i just don't know how's it how's, it, how's, it, how's, it all, how's it all that go it's really not treatable
1: and it depends on what stage they discovered in. And unfortunately for me, it was stage four, which is the highest stage there is. And the first doctor told me, he said, you only have a year or two. But after I, after they did these scans and all this other stuff, uh, uh they found out, Hey, I might get another five or seven years. I might get 10 years if I'm lucky. So that's, that's what I'm going for. So I am. It's an incurable cancer. There's nothing they can do to cure it, so to speak. So I get a chemo shot once a month in the stomach, and then I take two chemo pills every day. And uh, you know, but I feel so much better than I did, you know, the previous year. That I'm thankful to be where I am. I can put up with a little stuff and the medicine and all that other stuff to. Uh, You know, because I can I can walk again, and I feel good most of the time, and I'm thankful that where I am with my treatment and with my numbers at this point, and I just got to hope for the best. So, and I have a great two-year-old grandchild that I live for, and it was always my goal, even before I was sick, that I wanted to see him graduate from high
0: school. So that's still my goal. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) You know, the, I'm trying to wrap my head around it a little bit, but when a doctor says two to three years or even four to five or even another decade, I mean, don't we all just have two to three years? Nobody even knows what's around right. the corner for anybody. I mean, I mean, anybody could have any illness that gives them a timeline, you know, so it's, it's, I guess from time to time people just get reminded hey you your time's coming right right and they can you can say it to anybody without even it's a perspective i guess is that you can live your life not thinking about it or you can live your life appreciating all the time you've got now that's
1: what i told bonnie you know make the best out of my best days, so that's that's what i try to do and i try to be Positive. I never missed a day from school, even though I could barely walk. I always went to school and helped out the kids, and I love doing that, and um, that's one thing there's a lot of teachers in this group that uh, are Bros and bras, but the the gut check of someone telling you you only got a year or two, I, you know, I'll be first to admit that, Yeah, it was like, I was crying, but I, you know, said, hey, I can't let this stop me one way or another. I got to keep going. So that's always my thing. Put one foot in front of the other and keep going and keep going and do as much as you can. So that's, that's what I try to do.
0: uh, Well, I'm proud of you for having that view. That's, it's a really positive view. And um, I, I like that positive point of view. The, for some reason I didn't, find out about your cancer until way later. And maybe I just wasn't in the loop, but is that something you weren't sharing with people or had you been sharing it? Uh, I shared it once I found out,
1: but when I I went through like from May to October, not knowing what was wrong with me, you had that uh, party for bros and bras at that house. And it took all I could to walk from where the cars were parked up to that house. I just barely, Made it, and I was like, I was like wondering how the hell am I gonna make it all the way back to the car again? But that's how bad I was feeling at that point. So, uh, and I think I even talked to Jenny that day, and I said, I just want to know what's. I said, there's something going on with me. I want to know what's wrong with me. Whatever it is, I just want to know. So, it was uh, Jenny was very good talking to me that day.
0: That's that's good. Um. I assume Dr. Martin knows your diagnosis.
1: Uh, I don't think he knows my cancer diagnosis, and I meant a couple times to drive up there and talk to him at Two River Treads and tell him how much I appreciate him and how he looked after me. And uh, he's he's a great guy and a great doctor and believes in health. And I was even gonna um, I talked before I got really sick there that. I was going to go to one of his sessions about diabetes, and 'cause I've been a type two diabetic since I've been about forty
0: eight years old, so that's uh, well, it's we're really fortunate to have somebody like Dr. Mark in our pocket, you know, to have him as our roommate at our headquarters, you know, at his store, basically. Um, I imagine there have been other people in our group that have had some sort of diagnosis or scare, like it could be something, and even even the scare diagnosis would come from a doctor. Um, Dr. Mark has had a lot of other ways of looking at scary diagnosis and stuff like that. And helping people see the potential for them to continue on with their fitness lifestyle. And um, we can always look to people like Beth McConaughey and how she adjusted some things in her life and was able to beat her her crohn's disease like that's amazing yeah and um i i would i would imagine that being active and fit within your ability is definitely helpful yeah um nutrition maybe and
1: when i i was like on a cane they operated on one of my legs to get the swelling out of it so i was on a cane for like two months, they took out uh, a vein and it grows back on its own. So uh, it did get rid of a lot of swelling that was in my leg. And so when I, my goal was to walk a mile by the end of January. So uh, we went to, uh, we went to the abolitionist ale, and Jack walked with my wife and I for a mile
0: so the cancer continues to make your legs swell? Uh
1: not at this time, but they it, there's still I have a soreness in my legs that I never had before. But you know what? Keep walking. That's what I do. So uh Bonnie and I we probably did about 8 miles last week and uh we can walk in our neighborhood here. So.
0: Well, I I hate to ask simple questions, but like yeah. does does stretching help? Uh
1: actually I really haven't done too much of that and you know I told you I'm a big walker and early in my life I never really like to run run all the time you could ask me to do a uh, hundred football sprints in one day and I'd do them all but for me to <laughs> walk continuously for a mile or two miles it just wasn't it just wasn't ever my thing really I you know not that I never ran per se, but I, uh, you know, I definitely like walking
0: faster better than running. Right, but well, I mean, so is it possible that the pain you have, in your, and again, I have no idea about cancers or any of this sort of stuff, but is it possible that some of the pain in your leg could be? Build up of lactic acid that could be massaged out or anything like that, or a circulation issue that you could do certain kinds of exercises that would alleviate some of the swelling or pain.
1: I guess really I'd have to maybe look into that and see if that's a avenue for me to make my legs feel better because sometimes at the black dog, I do three miles, no problem. And then, uh, this last weekend we did two miles at, that at Black Dog and it was all I could do to do the two miles like the last half mile really hurt but I finished wow. it and I kept going so that's my thing I'm just gonna keep going
0: <laughs> well th- that's the thing I I, I I always try to be pain-free running I try to and, and every once in a while I'll have some little pain in my knee or a pain in my ankle or in my one of my the bones in my feet, and I gotta I want to figure out what it is that's um I guess impinging or cramping or whatever it is. And sometimes it's 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 dehydration, like I don't have enough water in my system. Right. Um, I, I've been trying to drink more water every day. That helps. Yeah, and I imagine. Dr. Dr. Mark is just an incredible resource, you know, and maybe, maybe he's seen this 50 times and you don't realize it. And because, because he's there and I'm sure he's very busy with all the COVID-19 challenges they're having at the hospital. But I'm wondering if there's something that could be worked out in your legs to make you feel two times better than you might feel on your rough days. It'd be something to look into. I'm definitely
1: definitely, when some of this stuff is over I'm definitely gonna try to see dr. mark to see what I can do athletically to make me feel better and make my legs feel better I think you'd be a great resource for that Um,
0: I I don't want to get all like weird but what about um have you tried meditation or yoga uh,
1: I have done that in the past and I probably should do more uh meditation. I really haven't i've never tried the yoga, but um uh, I did do meditation for a while, especially when I, mean, I was even really young so um I was like eighteen nineteen years old, and did karate at a certain point. It was all kind of spiritual things with the body and the mind to uh be at peace and uh, one one tidbit of in information that some people don't know, but I went to the original Woodstock in 1969. I was kind of a hippie and a uh, anti-war demonstrator, but uh, wow, you know, that's that's really cool. And I had
0: the long red hair, but that's. <laughs> I actually went to uh, Woodstock '94. Oh, did you? Yeah, I went to the. I guess it was the 25th anniversary or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure was That's cool. That was my version of, of Woodstock. I definitely wasn't at the crazy. Jenny's uh, father was there, though. Yeah. Are you still there? Did I lose you?
1: John, you seem to have frozen. Hello? God. I'm gonna pause
0: recording. Right. So uh, you were at we're recording now. Okay. So you were at uh, the original Woodstock. Jenny's um, Jenny's father was at the original Woodstock also. What and what? Uh, what do you remember from that?
1: What I remember was we'd gone there because. And we bought tickets and we'd gone there because we heard Bob Dylan was going to play there and he hadn't played for a couple of years. So that's the main reason why we went. And when we got there, we left. The concert was like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday thing. And we left uh, on a Wednesday night. And it took us almost till Friday morning to get to a parking lot that we could park at, to leave our car, to walk to the. Uh, Concert, and we didn't miss anything on Friday or Saturday, but Sunday we did miss some things. But it was just like so many people, and lucky for me, my mom made some fr- fried chicken for our trip because there was nothing to eat there whatsoever. uh <laughs> And you know, so we had that and some beer, so that was about all we had for nourishment. So finally, on Sunday, it just got too much, they got so hungry that we had a
0: we fail. <laughs> wow, I, I've seen some documentaries uh, talking about how those, how that went down, and that's that's just an amazing. That was, that was an amazing event. The um, I had some other questions for you, but they've slipped my mind on our technical difficulties there. Um,
1: I've had some cool things happen in life and I'm very you know, I'm always trying to think forward and think positive uh, my childhood was kinda of rough growing up. My dad was a World War Two vet and I think he today they would say he suffered from PTSD, but he definitely had that and he was a just by luck he was also golden gloves boxing champ in uh, Washington DC and uh, you know he he definitely uh, we had a rough household there and then my brother was three years older than me and uh, he caused some problems for me too but uh, I made it through childhood so uh, <laughs> college I when you know I always admired people that like from the time they're five years old, they know they want to be a fireman or do this or do that. And I never um, had that inkling. And I got to be a senior in high school. and I'm thinking like something's going to come to me, something's going to come to me, but it never did.
0: And uh,
1: so I could have gone to the work at a printing place after high school, but
0: yeah, I, that
1: wasn't my thing. So I thought, well, I'm going to go to community college. And my parents didn't have a lot of money at the time. My brother was already in college, so I went to community college, which I paid for myself. But I was working like sixty hours and part-time jobs to keep keep my stuff going. So uh, about a year and a half into that, a friend of mine said, "Hey, the phone company is hiring people at night to work in the computer room. do You want to do that?" I said, "Sure." And so, uh,
0: computer room. What year was that?
1: That was uh, 1970.
0: So what did a computer room look like then? <laughs> had these
1: uh had these tapes that spin around, had these little round discs, and uh <laughs> it didn't have much memory in it whatsoever. And uh we so that's what I did. I ran what they call a 360 30. And later on in life, it's an IBM uh processor, and later on in life I went to A computer museum at the Smithsonian that was the first computer that they had walking into the exhibit I'm like oh my god I'm old so uh, I was always like into technology and all the latest in technology until I retired in 2002 and then I just said "Man, I'm not learning I just got an iPhone like about three months ago so I mean uh, you know I been kind of anti technology ever since I left there. So, uh, but I always worked in computers there. I did project management for computers. And it took me, I think I started out that, you know, I was working at a phone company and uh, going to school. It took me four years to get a two year degree. And then in my 40s, I thought, man, I better get a degree. So I got a degree. And then I uh, and then I got a master's from GW in project management, and uh, I. Was so- <laughs> when you finally went to school, I was in my forties, so I want to say like forty-four. Got my master's at like forty-eight, and then uh, I uh, kept working there, and I was working in high-speed data communication equipment to that point and then 9-11 happened in uh, 2001. And so a lot of people don't know it, but the highest communications equipment in New York City was right next to the Twin Towers. So all that equipment had to be replaced. So that was my last project was getting all that equipment replaced at, uh, for the World Trade center in New York, in New York Yep, in New York. Yep. So that was the last thing I did for them. And the reason why I left then was I was still guaranteed my health benefits if I left then. So I said goodbye. <laughs> and I took my health benefits and hit the road. So um,
0: and that was an O two.
1: And that was O two. And I have nothing bad to say about them per se, but I was it was one of the happiest days of my life, my last day with them. And then after that I thought, you know kind of like my Woodstock mojo came back in and I thought, you know, I want to do stuff to help people. So I substituted teaching. Was thinking about teaching technology in the schools, but they weren't doing much with it back in 2002, 2003. So I said, I'm not going to substitute forever. So, and then I knew we were getting ready to move to North Carolina. So I, I uh, delivered beer and sold beer for Budweiser for uh, about 15 16 months and that that'll put you in shape for sure her down. <laughs> and then uh, when we got down to North Carolina I found a job with the United Way for seven years down there and I'd help people uh, doing financial counseling and naturally the the housing crisis back then so i was a hud certified counselor to help people try to stay in our homes so i think that's going to be another thing we're going to be facing after this coronavirus is helping people stay in their homes so that that troubles me but there's nothing that can happen to you financially no matter how bad it is that can't be overcome whether it be through bankruptcy through some kind of plan that the government has some kind of plan hud has to help you overcome the trouble that you face so uh, it's just a matter of perspective and um, some days doing that job it was really sad by the end of the week you see a lot of people on financial distress and uh, but by Monday I was recharged and ready to go again and help people with their problems. I got some really nice letters from people because I showed them the compassion that I have for people and the compassion for, Oh, you're a loser because you know, you don't pay your credit card. No, that's, that's, you know, things happen to people that you can't really stop, you know, uh, sometimes credit ups over a long period of time. Sometimes people have medical issues. Uh, you know, some people lose their job, they get another job, but doesn't pay what the old one used to pay. So there's a lots of different reasons. I believe most people don't want, and not want to pay their bills, but it's because something bad happened and being with United Way there, uh, we would work with, uh, other people in the same agency that, you know, work with abused children, uh, men, primarily men that beat their wives and that kind of stuff. So you see a lot of sad stuff sometimes in the United Way and how they divvy out the money in the United Way. It's, it's kind of hard to say, Hey, well, this group needs money more than the other people. They all need help. So it's, it's kind of hard decisions that, uh, people up top have to make, but uh, and then when we came here to West Virginia, I worked at the hotel at Charlestown Casino for about a year because Kevin, I cannot stay home and do nothing. So it, it's like I got to be working or doing something. So and then well,
0: speaking
1: speaking of staying home,
0: the Jag Walkers were the final group of Bros and Bras to stop seeing each other. You guys were die hard before social distancing became mandatory. (laughs) What are you and Bonnie doing to uh, entertain yourselves at home? And then I guess another question would be, what what positives have you found from staying home?
1: Well, uh, it gave me an opportunity to do some of the things I've always wanted to finish up in the last year too, and I've done all those things now. So now uh, <laughs> Bonnie and I, uh, we definitely enjoy our walks. We definitely enjoy each other. Uh, we'll be married, uh, 44 years, uh, this year. And, uh, it's, you know, she's really been great to me. That's all I can say all through the years. And then, you know, she's just always been there for me and, uh, Sometimes I think people in marriages, they struggle sometimes, and we did struggle too sometimes. But at the end of the day, if you can find a way to make it, uh, it's, it's really wonderful. And I think you know a lot of mistakes uh, men make is that they're busy doing this and they're busy doing that. And my only question to any man would be, when's the last time you went on a date with your wife? and because you need that interconnection i don't care if you got kids or not or or what have you you need to have some one-on-one time with your spouse and uh, that's my advice to uh, married men of today is uh you know have that time with them and everything doesn't have to be extravaganza you don't have to go to the movies and go to dinner and do this hey just Get a bucket of chicken from Kentucky Fried Chicken, that wouldn't be where I'd get it from. But, uh, you know, just go out to a park and have some time together. I think it's
0: important. So, Jenny's really good at um, making me do stuff like that. We, we both get in a very busy, <clears throat> very busy cycle. So, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I've I found that um, it turns out that I enjoy cooking. Oh yeah, I love cooking. I've started cooking a lot more at home Um, with all the restaurants only being carry-out. You know I like to go out and um, experience where I'm at and be in the community and stuff like that so I'm not really interested in much carry-out. So I've been doing a bunch of cooking, cooked a brisket for the first time. That's great. Um, But I also define Bracken's painting as essential. So we're fortunate that I can keep a few guys employed and keep um, trucking. You saw That's our great. trucker about a library we were painting. Luckily, we'll have that wrapped up tomorrow. But what was interesting was I started that the day that the quarantine officially started, the significant lockdown. <clears throat> that job was slotted to take five to six days, but I was the only painter. So I've been there like 18 days, trying to get that darn thing finished, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, you know, I'm enjoying more more time walking around the yard. Jenny's been working from home for I think almost six or seven weeks now. She's been home for a long time. That might be an exaggeration, but she is now not being forced to do the commute,
1: right. so she has a
0: ton of free time, and she just folds that back over into more work uh, and more training. But yeah, you, know, you know, I'm not I'm not sweating the the quarantine too hard. Um, I do miss a lot of the opportunities to do fun things, but that's just where it's at. And then, um, believe it or not, having Jenny on the podcast as one of the guests has been really delightful for me also. Um, It it provides a new medium of communication that I get to know things about her that I didn't necessarily know before. Now, was Rose and Ross a co-idea
1: between you and Jenny, or was it, you know,
0: oh boy bros and bras was uh uh let's see i don't remember what year it is and people always correct me on what year it was i want to say it was 2014 uh jenny bill young me joey delgado and a few other people did our first ragnar and that was jenny's very first big race like she'd done a 5k um and that ragnar was in the spring before jenny's first uh freedom's run and at freedom's run we were meeting bill young and jenny and joey and a few other people at the starting line and if you've been to the starting line it's a big mob scene there's four there's three races heading in different directions and it's hard to know where to be and it's hard to find your friends and in this, these particular years, we didn't, it was our first time there, we didn't know where to congregate. So we, I, I said, you know, it'd be really cool if we had a, a flag. And um, Bill had been a part of a running group, either in Arizona or in Texas. And he talked about that a lot. And I was like, it'd be great if we opened up our own running group, but it has to be a lazy group. You can't take it too seriously. Right. Bill was all down with that. And Bill was a really, really, really good runner back then. He, he needs to up his game a little bit now. the um the bros and bras concept was originally established to be a a sponsored team for jenny and her girlfriends to go run 5ks or do fitness competitions together and stuff like that uh but she didn't necessarily like what we were putting together in the plan so i said well then i'll just start my own running group and i'll go do it and I, i just wanted to get in shape the way jenny was getting in shape so it wasn't totally a co-concept, but she's been the unofficial vice president the entire time. And she, right. you know, she's everybody's cheerleader. She's, <clears throat> she is the bra actual, she's, you know, but really it was, it was part Bill's idea, part, my idea. You know, he had experience being in a running group. I didn't really have that kind of experience. I did have experience in building fitness communities. Bros & Bras is the fourth generation of the concept. We had one up in New York City and one in Philly and one in Arlington. And they were all drastically different. But um, it, Jenny is, um, she's an integral part of the group, but when it came to the business operations and behind the scenes, that was pretty much all me.
1: I, um, I've always thought that when I go to the doctor, I tell my bro, and bras or I think when we go to the doctors we can get the word out to the doctors saying hey we we got a running walking group here that you can participate when you want to uh, no official membership per se but just you know get together with people and get out and do some exercise because I'm sure these doctors see a lot of people that need to turn their life around a little bit and and uh, Get some exercise in their life in a fun way and a good way so
0: there were some <laughs> doctors that were pushing bros and bras um, i know doctor didn't down at uh, community ministries pushes us all the time um, but people have arrived over the years from doctor prescribed get out and walk go see bros and bras here in the community right. um sometimes they stick with it sometimes they don't the um there is the uh Rotary and Bros and Bras. I'm a I'm a Rotarian, and um we were working together at one point where we were co doing a walk with a doc. Have you have you been to any of those from the oh, farmers no. market? So they gone. start? They start one hour after ours. So I think it's a nine o'clock start or a nine fifteen start. Same place we do. So you can go out and do a walk or whatever, come back, get a burrito, a cup of coffee, and then they walk down to the park and sit under one of the. Shelters for half hour or so, and it's just a Q and A with a doctor. Talk about sleep. Talk about ankle injuries. Talk about recovery. Talk about cancer. Talk about all that sort of stuff. Right. And then general practitioners walk with you and just healthy walk, healthy talk about health and wellness and stuff like that. So that's something you should check out. The um, but yeah, for a short time there were some doctors who were mentioning coming out to Bros and bronze.
1: I think very- it's about healthcare
0: reform, and that that's a heavy topic, man.
1: Yep um you know so i mean the group's been great for bonnie and i we really enjoy it um you know i have had you know some interesting things and happen to me in life um and i'm gonna relay one of those stories to you yeah but we're in north carolina they have terrible food there (laughs) at least the part we lived in they had terrible food we had a Drive like an hour and fifteen minutes to get some decent uh, <laughs> Chinese food, but <laughs> but uh, they opened up a little pizza place near us, and what they already had there previously was really bad, and this was like really really good. So we got some pizza there, and it was like, oh yeah. I said, I said, so this is like three days later. I said, Bonnie, I'm going back there. I, I'm gonna get a sub or something. You want something? So. I went in there and um, lo and behold I had my son had uh, been in the Marine Corps he was still in at that point and I had a, his marine shirt on and I there was this, my food wasn't ready yet and there was this older guy sitting at a table and he said uh, Semper Fi to me and I said I, I really appreciate the Semper Fi but it's my son and not not me so he opened up to me and told me that he was a Vietnam vet and I told him I said I was really Sorry how you guys got treated when you got back from Vietnam because they were basically hated when they came home and uh, You know, so I told him I appreciated his service and So he started talking to me more about the military That he was in the Navy now and you know, he used to be in the Marines and I'm going like that's kind of funny, but Um, Then he started telling me, you know, that the military life isn't an easy life and uh, it's hard to keep a marriage together when you're in the service like that as a career and, you know, it's hard to spend time with your children like you should in in the military and and he got a divorce and he wasn't happy about that per se, but he had four daughters and a son. And so his son uh, decided to follow in his footsteps, and uh, he uh, joined the marine Corps and so when and he was telling me that when um, he was in the, it was in Iraq and Fallujah, and they were going house to house, and his son was uh, killed and Blue Jaw, Iraq, and I I said, I don't know what to say to you, sir. I said, I am really, there's no words that I can express to tell you how sorry I am and the love that I have for you and your son. And uh, and so he was asking me about my son's military career and his aspirations at that time, and he was giving me some good hints on it. And at the end of our, our talk together, he says, I want you to do three things for you for me I said I'll I'll do anything for you sir and he said "Uh, I want you to tell your son about me and my son and the second thing I want you to tell him that uh, you're proud of his uh, service and that you love him and that you shouldn't have bridges between you and your son because he said I had bridges between myself and my son when he died in uh, Fallujah and uh, I tell you what I bawled like a baby really (laughs) and uh, it had a big impact on me but that's something for today's parents you know tell your children you love them tell them you're proud of them Uh, that's an important message for any parent
0: so so. what's that Did you tell your son? Oh,
1: absolutely, yep. And I cried when I told him that time, too. And uh, it was definitely a life. I mean, why he picked me in a pizza shop to tell me his story is just uh, something I'll never forget.
0: That's pretty heavy.
1: Yep, it was real heavy. But, uh, and then, you know, we need to appreciate all our service members and like right now uh you know when nine eleven happened no one thought a fireman being in that light like cops today and now with this coronavirus all the nurses and doctors that are putting their lives online for course it's you know important that they know how much we appreciate them really
0: we do yeah we do well john that's that's really good advice um it's uh, these challenges of being quarantined and the economy kind of shutting down. And um, it's really giving people perspective on what's important and uh, opening those lines of communication is definitely a good advice. Right. Yeah. Well, one final question, and this would be about the Bros and Bras community and kind of your perspective on it. What do you think, Something you and Bonnie might say to somebody who is nervous about coming out? Somebody, what kind of message would you tell them that what to expect or why it's a good group?
1: I think the main thing is, you know, just it's a fun way to exercise, whether you're running or whether you're walking and to be with people and be able to talk and, you know, not only for young people and in middle-aged people but you know there i think there's a lot of seniors that could benefit from coming out there and walking and um, and getting a little bit of uh, uh, sense of family because i i do feel uh, and that's something i wouldn't tell somebody but i do think there is a sense of family with the frozen bras and all the people that i do appreciate and bros and bras no one's ever said a unkind word to us and everyone's always upbeat and positive and it's really hard to put into words but you know i also don't see a lot of people trying to hit on other people or all this other stuff it's it's all been good you know it's it's uh people uh Uh, I'm not sure if I have or not really, but
0: she has a very loud barking dog she brings with her. Okay. Well, she is on podcast, maybe six, seven, maybe 10, somewhere in that range, one of the newer ones, uh, right after Carmen. And she had a really great perspective on what Bros and Bras was and why it behaves the way it does. And you know, everybody has certain political leanings and she's an advocate big time. And she's she loves to be vocal about people who aren't getting a fair shake. But she said the reason why we all behave and we're all so kind to each other is because we are we're joined in fitness. Meaning that because we went out and jogged or ran or ran hard or walked or walk jogged or just walked the dog, by the time we all come back for coffee or at the end of the event, we're joined in that labor together right it, it it hits a reset on people's positions instead of being one side of the aisle or another or red or blue or black or white we all get reset to we've all just gone through some fitness together right and it it creates a, a free environment and it warms my heart when people answer that question in Bros and Bros because I didn't build it to be what it became. I built it as a method to just get me in shape and to show some accountability to get me out running. Um, what it turned into as a community for people and what it's doing for people is genuinely about the people themselves. You and Bonnie and Sandy and Mike and Amber and Scooter and everybody, every everybody we could mention, you know, there's probably 60 regular, weekly people that are out there just being positive. And, you know, fitness and getting together
1: afterwards, it's all fun, it's all good. And I think people treat each other with uh, respect and uh, leave all the other stuff out the door. So it's it's always good to get together and be
0: with everyone. I definitely enjoy it. Well, that's great, John, thank you for sharing your experience with bros and bras and thank you for sharing um um, an update on your health challenges it's it's really good to know and it's good to know from the horse's mouth if that makes sense rather than just kind of from what people have just heard that kind of deal right that's that's important to us and, and like you said we are kind of like a family we're all looking out for each other and if there's things that you and bonnie need or if there's anybody in bros and bras that's struggling, they should know that they can reach out to the group, you know, it's, there's no there's no shame, there's no judgment, you know, right. no, but there's no expectations also. Right. Um, and thanks for sharing some of your stories and insights, I really appreciate it. All right, Kevin. you have a great one and say hi to Jenny and you have a great day. Will do, bud. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by City National Bank in Ransom, West Virginia. I am Melissa Knott and manage both of our Jefferson County locations. Our Charlestown location is located on George Street in Charlestown, and the Ransom location is located in the Potomac Marketplace Shopping Center. City National Bank is a full service community bank that provides an array of financial services. We offer a range of free checking accounts and savings products for both consumer and business customers. City National Bank offers competitive, low-rate, and low-cost lending products for both business and personal needs. Come and talk to me or one of my team members and get products and services that are tailored to fit your schedule and help you to achieve your financial goals. I can be reached at both the Ransom and Charlestown locations. Check out our website at www.bankatcity.com. Today's intro song is called Mean in a Good Way. It's written and performed by Peter Clark off of his album, Peter Clark After Dark. Peter Peter describes this song as being the best song to learn hula hooping to. Peter is an avid hooper and recently started a hula hoop repair business. If you ever need hula hoop repair, consider contacting Peter. You can reach him on SoundCloud. Just search Peter Clark After Dark.